Hey everyone, welcome to Asian Tech Leaders, the podcast where we interview some of the most interesting and inspiring Asian CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. I'm your host, Justin Pang, and I'm on a mission to share the stories of Asian tech leaders to help guide your personal and professional life. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Jenny Lam is a chief business officer at Wattpad, a global app and entertainment company that is used by 90 million people around the world and recently acquired by South Korean internet giant Naver for $600 million. Jenny has over 15 years of experience in tech with a focus on high growth consumer startups. Prior to Wattpad, Jenny led growth and user acquisition at Shapeways, the world's largest 3D printing service. She's also worked in ad technology at Yahoo and led marketing at mobile payments company GoPageo in San Francisco. Jenny also spent three years as a management consultant at Accenture. Jenny is a board advisor for women in color and serves on her alumni boards in Toronto. She has an MBA from the Harvard Business School and a BS in economics from Cornell University. She's also very passionate about helping young professionals find fulfillment in their careers. This episode was recorded in the summer of 2020 as part of an Asian Googler network event that I hosted, but it was such an inspiring talk that I wanted to share it with more people. Jenny kindly agreed that I could publish this talk, so here it is. I hope you enjoy it and walk away energized and inspired like I did. Uh, And so I grew up in New York City, literally in Queens, in Flushing, which I believe is probably still to this day, the most diverse city in the US. And it was, I grew up with my father, my dad and mom got divorced when I was two years old. So I actually didn't have a mom growing up for um, until I was 13 when he remarried. And I believe that there's a big influence of that in my life, which is why it's worth mentioning. Uh, but that's probably more for more for therapy than for this conversation, although I'm happy to dig in. Um, and And my grandparents. And so like a very traditional upbringing, they were all immigrants and very focused on school. My, I grew up hearing stories of my, my grandma being, um, you know, the number two salutatorian in her class and her parents never let her go to university because she was a woman. And so, um, but she was very well read and she was, and so she, they always really instilled in me education. I'm sure that resonates with almost every single person on this call. Um, went to very diverse schools growing up uh, and kind of was never, never felt weird being a nerd, never felt always never felt weird trying to do well in school. That was well accepted. Uh, and so I would say that I, I think now that I'm a mom, I do think back a lot to how I was raised and how that's influenced me less in my career, but I think more of how I show up. And especially now as a leader of an organization of 200 people, um, that for sure, the way that I, I treat people, the way that I treat people with respect, um, the way that I think about authority, all of that has manifested in various ways as throughout my career, and it's still something that I'm continually trying to learn. So I'm, I'd be so curious to hear other people's experience with it too, if we have time. That's great. Um, let's let's dig in a little bit more into that, right? Like being Asian, you're you're in Flushing too, which is as you mentioned, super diverse, lots of great Chinese uh, restaurants there. Um, and how did that shape what? you wanted to do with your life, at least when you're young, right? Um, yeah. Was there a clear path of what you should do uh, when you kind of quote unquote grow up? Or did you have other inspirations that might have not necessarily fallen in the uh, stereotypical expectations? My my parent, my dad um, never 
had a specific path for me. And for that, I was very grateful, but he also didn't expose me to that much. So he was an engineer by training and he moved, to, it's like such hustle. Like he moves to the US when he's like pregnant with me and you know, with my, my mom. And he's like, I gotta go get a higher education degree. So he goes and gets his master's in computer science, which literally you guys, like he cannot even, couldn't even type email back then. I don't know how he got his master's. Um, but he hustled through it and I was like, well, how did you do it? And he's like, oh, well, I sold calculators for money so that then people would help me with my homework. And this was him getting a master's degree. And so he had this ingrained amount of hustle. Um, and so, and he didn't have a very specific view for what I need to do. He like anchored at, if anyone watched Chinese news in like the 19, late eighties, he was the Chinese news anchor. And so he kind of showed me he, like whatever his path is, is his path. There was no set path for him. Um, but he only sort of, he was like trying to just make money and get by. And so he didn't have the chance to open up the world to me of like, this is what an architect does. This is what a software engineer does. This is what a doctor does. And so I was very lucky, I think, to go be in New York City, where you are just naturally exposed to a lot of things because there are so many people around and there's always activity. And so there's, if you're a curious person, you get to see a lot of that stuff. And so being in New York really helped me foster my curiosity. And then I went to this school called Bronx High School of Science, which is a public school, um, but had a lot of private funding. And I kind of got to take advantage of that because I remember, I think my junior year, I was like, I feel like I should get an internship. And so I went to the career out office and literally they had like an internship at Solomon Smith Barney, which was a finance like giant at the time. And so I was like, finance, that sounds interesting. I just finished finance, so I'm gonna go try it. And so I, I just like looked for the opportunities, but I was in an environment where opportunities were there for me to grab as long as I kept on grabbing at them. And so I tried out all sorts of things. I was like, finance is interesting. I tried it, it wasn't for me. I tried uh, marketing in New York City Parks Department. I went into advertising because I thought that's what I would be interested in. And this was all through high school and, and undergrad. And so you look at my resume and I'm like, I look at it sometimes I'm like, oh, this like, general manager, her, obviously this is what I was meant to do. That was absolutely not my path. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just knew what I wanted to kind of try out next a little bit more of. And that's all I did. I just took that yeah. next step. I took that next and, step. Yeah, and it's amazing to hear about the expansion, right? Because on paper, I mean, even looking at LinkedIn or a lot of people's LinkedIn, it's like, oh, it's clear linear path. Like, of course, right? right? Like you're saying. Yeah. Um, but it's great to hear that early on, you were already in exploration mode and had a lot of uh, freedom at sound to experiment. Um, how how did your parents feel about that, right? Because I I think you know for some parents it's like, hey, this is this is a path, and um, you know taking care of the family name and following what other uh, uncles and aunties kids are doing is important. How, how did, did that play a factor in yeah. how you made decisions Jeffrey, or not really? Jeffrey was my, uh, you know, the guy that I was always compared to. And so like Jeffrey <laughs> went to the University of Michigan. And so like, exactly. why don't you go to the University of Michigan? And so um, yeah. there was absolutely that. I think that's, I think that's the case even in some like a lot of non-Asian families. Um, I would say that I think because my grandma was a strong influence in my life and she was very strong-willed and she was like the matriarch of the family. And you could tell that even though she didn't go to university, how important she thought education was. And she always kind of just like pushed me, but not in a specific direction. And my father didn't either, right? Like I mentioned, um, the, only ch the only challenge would often be my stepmom who cared a lot about me and who, uh, who came into my life when I was 13 years old. She would often try to push me in like, like I told her I was joining it. I was like, I'm leaving Accenture to join this advertising tech company that I literally cannot explain to you in Chinese. Um, and it's like, 
what is it making revenue? Like, I, I, I have no idea. And she's like, what are you doing? Why are you leaving this extremely stable career where you're doing well? And I was, and I was like, I couldn't explain it. And I was just like, um, it's going to be a pay cut, but I'm going to try it out. And I just kind of tried to explain to her, what is the risk, right? Like I literally went to one of the best schools in the country. I, I work my ass off. What is the real risk here? And so I would get pushback for sure. I think a lot of people get pushback with any change that happens. Um, but I fundamentally believed in like the idea of if I am doing something that I like and that I'm good at, I will end up making enough money from it that it will be okay. And that's something whenever I have friends who are worried about making career changes, especially early in the career, I'm like, do you really like what you're doing and are you really good at it? And is there something else that you like doing more that you're good enough at that you can make money? Because if you do that, you'll continue to grow. People will see it. Your skills will show. And so there's a little bit of a leap of faith. And I kind of just try to, my mom still asks me, she's like, well, why don't you go be developer? I'm like, I'm like running a company now. I'm like, <laughs> and so it, it, it takes a little bit of convincing, but there's a, a bunch of conviction in yourself that if I make this yeah. jump, I'm good enough that it'll be okay. And I'm qualified enough that I'll figure things out. Yeah. And was that inner voice always quite strong and clear to you? Or is that something that um, you feel like you had to hone or do, a, do some work on to hear it better? Oh, oh, I had to work on it so hard, so aggressively. So this is why a little bit I mentioned earlier, like my parents getting divorced. I, I think that had an impact on me without even me knowing something around confidence, right? And like adequacy. And so I think growing up, I was not the most confident child. Um, always was worried, worried about love and affection. And so in my career at Accenture, there were probably two instances I can share of my, my mental mode started to shift. Um, and the first was like I, I got a mentor when I was at Accenture. I didn't like find one. Like he just started to mentor me, and I talked to him to this day. And this was we met almost 20 years ago, and he he told me he believed in me, and he would tell me how I was different. And so that's something where like if you don't have someone who tells you you're different, go ask the question, right? Like he would be like, hey, he would ask me to do some assignment, and I would do it, and he would guide me, and he would say, this is good work because you did this. And so I learned from him where I was different from other other analysts at the time where I would be more comprehensive my, with my work or I would try to think outside the box or I would deliver something that was beyond his expectation of what, what it was. And he would explain to me how that was different. And he would say things like, when we go into this meeting, I want you to treat everyone else at the table as your equal. And until I had that permission from him, because I respect authority, right? Until I had that permission from him, I didn't know I could do that. And I use, it's all positive reinforcement. So I do that a few times and I would see, oh, hey, when I spoke up in that meeting, it went well. So I'm going to try it again. I'm going to try it again. So that was an important part of where I got that confidence, just knowing myself better. And then in business school, there was a particular moment where you sit around with these 90 incredibly smart, charismatic, charming people, hardworking. And, you know, it's like super imposter syndrome. You're like, oh, I was the one that they let in by accident. And I remember one instance where we were talking about in a leadership class, um, this like just tall, gorgeous, super well-spoken, went to Harvard undergrad, like just this like perfect human specimen of a guy. And he literally said in class, when we're talking about like leadership and what influences that he continually tries his best to, to impress his own dad. And that everyone's really trying to find his own voice. And I was like, if he hadn't said that, I just would have thought that he had everything figured out. And that was a light bulb moment for me where I'm like, everyone looks like they have it figured out. Everyone's struggling. And so even me, I'm like on this call with you because I'm trying to share my knowledge. I'm still trying to figure it out. And so it's a process of like realizing that. It's like that person doesn't necessarily have it more figured out than me, which means that my opinion 
or perspective on this particular problem is probably just as valid. So I'm going to say something. And even if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But there's no reason why my opinion is any less valid. And I think that was important for me to, yeah. and I work on that muscle. And it's a muscle. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for pointing that out. Like I, I find that as well. I do think that is, you know, one of the things that uh, being uh, part of the Asian culture um, authority and um, seniority is is something that I think is more respected in our culture. And um, that, that can lead to it being much harder to have a dissenting point of view, especially and speaking up. Yeah. Um, have you no, done that too, like in your, in your career? Pardon me? Have you found that too in your career? In yeah, of, yeah, absolutely. Know? I mean, I, I think it, especially um, as I've gotten more senior micro, that, that's been the challenge too, like just figuring out um, how, how do I find that voice? And I think um, every year uh, I feel like I'm getting a little bit clearer and like able to hear that voice, uh, but it's definitely a long process. Yeah. Um, the one thing that you mentioned in your in your past response was actually this really important idea about sponsorship, right? Um, I think you called it mentorship. In my mind, that like the idea mm -hmm. of mentorship is, and specifically sponsorship, is so top of mind, especially for the Asian culture, um, where that might not be normal, right? Um, especially for those who come uh, from parents who are newly new immigrants, or you know, uh, they might be first or second generation in their specific country. When it comes to sponsorship, is that something that you think you can proactively control as somebody who wants a sponsor? Or do you just kind of have to put yourself out there and hope that you know somebody kind of taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I wanna sponsor you. I see something yeah. special in you and I'm gonna make sure I clear as many roadblocks as I can to make you successful. How much of it is kind of skill versus luck if you wanna kind of use that? <laughs> you're like, um, you do, you're a podcaster so you, this reminds me of a uh, Guy Raz and how how I built this. How oh, did you use that? This is every single. <laughs> okay. Yes. I never yeah, thought I would like ask a question. Oh, sorry. There you go. <laughs> uh, so there are a lot of studies out there that show that mentorship itself, in terms of like matched mentorship or forced match mentorship, doesn't work well. And I've I believe strongly in mentorship and sponsorship, which is why I I continually raise my hand. Like I'm like, oh sure, I'll be a part of this organization that's looking to match people, and it it inevitably like the relationship kind of doesn't go anywhere. Whereas a lot of people who have reached out to me just to ask a very specific question about something, right? Industry, their career, my path, whatever it is. Oftentimes those end up developing into very, very natural relationships. And it's like, I don't even realize what's happening until this happened probably a month ago. Uh, I was talking with a, with someone who I've been in touch with for a while, and he literally was like, thank you so much for being my mentor. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, sure, I'm your mentor. Yeah, that's what this is. And because you just end up having this wonderful relationship where you're, I learn from him, but he's learning from me, and he's asking me, me questions and picking his brain, my brain about career path. So I would say, like, it has to be very intentional, and it has to be relatively organic. And I think it's, therefore, the ones that match, I think it's, they're harder for them to become very fruitful relationships, even though they can be. What my guidance here would be, if it is something you want, you have to go seek it. And the way that you seek it is like, maybe don't set out to look for sponsors or mentor. And, and there's a difference that we can certainly talk about if it's helpful, but um, seek knowledge, right? Seek knowledge, whatever is something that you wanna learn about that you're curious about, go seek that knowledge from someone who's done it before. You can go on LinkedIn and look for someone who has a title that you might want in the future and pick their brain on their career. And if you do that often, right, then you're gonna be, have a chance of interacting with someone who you connect with more deeply. 
And in that scenario, you found yourself some kind of a mentor or, or ideally a sponsor, a sponsor is someone who not doesn't just give you guidance and advice, but actively looks for opportunities and promotes you in the company. So I actually misspoke. My first mentor was actually a sponsor. He continually like mm. literally pushed me into meetings and continually said my name to all his superiors so that they knew who I was. And so just look, create those opportunities yourself. And yeah people are busy and so it's like it's not just a generic question you have to go in with a specific thing you have to answer and you have to come with that curiosity and if you do that often enough you might find someone who wants to continue to engage is what are the things that make you want to sponsor somebody you know you have, you're in a now position where probably a lot of people want you to be their sponsor yeah so how do you think about it as a potential sponsor and what is it that makes you want to sponsor somebody um I think they have to be a good human, <laughs> like, yeah, like they have to yeah. be genuinely a, a good person. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have a lot of, a lot of people do reach out to me and oftentimes it's for career advice or whatever, or like from the school network or something. Um, yeah. And sometimes the conversation oftentimes stays at a relatively superficial level. But I find that my most, my most rewarding sponsorships and the people that I want to invest in the most time are with are like the conversations that go beyond that and where I get to know the person a little bit. And I'm like, oh, you have a curious mindset super curious just wants to get to know things just wants to understand wants to try new things and so i'm like oh someone who wants to try new things i want to help make that successful and then the other is like they've indicated in some way that they want to do better in the world and they're trying to figure out what that mark looks like it's like oh you're a good human i'm happy to help support that <laughs> yeah so but curiosity to me right pardon, like i think everyone's different yeah. i think it's very yeah. different like i, I imagine some yeah, yeah. response might be um you know i see someone with extremely high potential and I really want to make sure that person succeeds. Like there's lots of different ways to approach it. Yeah, cool. And kind of jumping on, off the theme of seeking knowledge, curiosity, is has that kind of been the, the true north for your career moves, right? As you mentioned, started at Accenture, went to Yahoo, uh, then went to mobile payments and then 3D printing and then and then now at Wattpad. Like what, what has been that theme? Is it that kind of idea of curiosity and following what, what you want to learn? I, I think, uh, I do think curiosity has literally driven everything I've done. So when I was in undergrad and Google like first came out, yes, it was that long ago. Um, I remember people asking questions and my response was always like, let's Google it. And I, and like my friends made fun of me because they were like, you just want to Google everything. And people used to be So curiosity. So curiosity is, a big part of how I define myself, who I am, and I think what's helped me grow. Um, throughout my career, I would say, curiosity doesn't necessarily lead you down the path of going into like mobile payments. You know what I mean? Like there's so many other ways that you could be curious. So how specifically do do I did I pick where I continue to go and grow? And for me, it was a process of a little bit of elimination and a lot of self-reflection just part of who I am and it's innate and I was born with it. Um, Self-reflection is something that I've had to work on. And so, and I didn't know necessarily that's what I was doing at the time, but now I spend a lot of time on it because it's like self-reflection allowed me to think about what do I absolutely love about what I do at Accenture? What do I really not like? And therefore what's one like chess move? What's just one move I can make in a direction closer to what I wanna do, as opposed to kind of waiting for my dream job, which I had no idea what that was. So when I was Accenture as an example, 
I really loved the analytical work and I really loved engaging with like clients and putting presentations together and seeming really smart. Um, and I really didn't like that I would do this and then I would walk away and I would have no idea if this thing that I proposed actually made a difference at the company. And so I knew that the next company I wanted to work at had to be a product company where I would get to see the impact of my results. I actually had applied to Google in 2007. I got an offer as a PMM and I turned it down and I literally cried on the phone with the recruiter. And I was like, I can't take this offer. And she was like shocked, understandably. And it's because I had this offer from Right Media. And that speaks to the curiosity piece where I'm like this little tech company, I feel like they would let me do a lot of what I wanna do, right? I feel like they would benefit from the skills that I have made it at Accenture to help this company grow at this phase. And so it kind of gave me this sense of, they need me here and I can make a difference. And I kind of want to know a little bit about what they're doing. And that's how I made that choice. And it was like, I, I don't know if it was a good decision or not. I just, I just knew that it would be a step in the right direction of what kind of functional work I wanted to do. Yeah. And, and at that time, right, right media, was that already part of Yahoo or was it separate? You guys, you won't believe it. So it was not, I accepted my offer and literally I went to a party thrown by the company two weeks later because they had announced that Yahoo was going to acquire it. And I was like, oh, oh, oh wow, great absolutely nothing because I bought it at the market price. So, and then two months after that, <clears throat> I remember stepping onto Yahoo's campus for the first time and looking around and being like, I could have been at Google's campus, but here I am at Yahoo's campus. <laughs> so no regrets, definitely no regrets, but um, no, it wasn't. At the time they had not been acquired yet amazing um and just a couple more questions before we turn it over to kind of audience questions is this idea like you know you mentioned when when you move from accenture um to yahoo you were getting paid less money um a reality i think especially for working parents and especially for people who come from a you know more traditional asian background where most parents are probably working professionals not entrepreneurs money matters right money matters. Like, and putting leaving money on the table or going somewhere to get paid less um, is not a, not really in simpatico with uh, the Asian culture. How do you think about money as it comes to making decisions in your career and and whether or not you should take a, take a lead? Yeah. Um, I think of it as like, what is the, what is a reasonable amount of money that I need to make to sustain my lifestyle and kind of leave it at that in other words yeah. so it's it's hard in terms of like yes the asian mentality where if you have the opportunity to make more money why don't you and you know like i have this example where um between our first and second year of business school i came back from where i had worked in china for uh for the summer at a like linkedin equivalent of china and uh, i made like five thousand dollars or something and i remember coming back and seeing a friend and be like, how was your summer? And she's like, oh, she's like, I interned at, I remember it was like Merrill Lynch or something at the time. Morgan, it was a Goldman Sachs. She's like, I interned at Goldman Sachs. I'm like, how was it? <clears throat> no shade on Goldman Sachs, but she's like, well, my best friend lives in New York and we had two dates set up and I had to cancel both times because I had to like cancel for the deal that I was working on. And I mostly worked until two in the morning every night uh, and I probably gained like 20 pounds. And I was like, it sounds awful. Like, what, what are you going to do now? Literally, be like, what are you going to do? What's, what's your career path? And she literally was like, oh, I'm going to take the offer. And I was like, what? <laughs> My mind, and because that's not how I think. But it was, yeah, yeah. I, and I was like, why? And her explanation was, um, it's really important for me that I provide for my, my brother, 
her younger brother at the time and I provide for my family. And she's like, I don't love this job, but this is gonna get me the most money and that's my priority. And so this piece on self-reflection is important because my priority, I'm lucky, right? I've always made enough money that I haven't had to worry. So my priority has never been like, or make so much money that I never have to worry about money. I'm like, oh, it'll, I'll fix And however, other people's priority might be different. And it's just really important to a, like what's really important to you right now if it's like you got a down payment and you got kids and you got a house and you got tuition and you need that security prioritize the money there's nothing wrong with that but just recognize that's why you're doing it or some people prioritize Goldman Sachs or Google or Wattpad or anything because they want the, the brand or something right it's okay just know that that's why you're doing it you want that brand on your I have Yahoo on my resume already people know I can work in a big company I don't need another brand I would need that have it made cachet or something understanding what your priorities are and it's there's wrong with money I think I've been lucky that I've I've always kind of once I hit more than fifty thousand dollars I was like oh this is more money than I ever expected to make and so my expectation of a lot of money was always low and so I've always just kind of been positively supported and rewarded along the way and I always the last thing I'll say is um, I always saw how I could always see how like uh, upset and frustrated some of my friends were in their roles that they didn't like, even though they made a lot of money. And it became very obvious to me that money didn't make them happy. And I'm like, if you spend this much time of your life and my personal identity is so much associated with my work, like it's not worth that amount of money because look at how unhappy those people are. And it was it's very hard for them to get out of it. And so I kind of had that in the back of my head. Yeah, awesome reflections. Um, so uh, take away, know thyself, right? Like do a lot of your work on yourself and I, I think to your point, um, Jeannie, it's not a static thing, right? We're all changing, the world's changing. This is, I, I journal and, and do a lot of self-reflection, so I appreciate that. Um, and then the second takeaway for me is the distinction between more and enough, because we live in a culture of more, right? Moving up the ladder, getting more things, kind of up, continually upgrading our life and being on sedonic treadmill. Um, but uh, great wisdom that you're sharing there that you just have to know what that level is where you have enough mm -hmm. and be okay mm -hmm. with it um from a financial perspective and it's, it's hard to know that right yeah, like for I sure know enough as well. and so it's yeah it's, it's, it's a oh yeah oh yeah I, I i find like even as a you know parent of young kids as well it's easy to trick yourself to say more yeah. is actually better for my kids because <laughs> i can send them to a better school i can take them on better like there are ways that we also kind of self-deceive ourselves by saying, oh, it's it's not about me. I don't need more, it's for the children. So mm -hmm. um, being real with yourself is super important. Yeah. Um, cool, so I'll take a pause here. We have about uh, 10 audience questions. Um, so any questions, feel free to type them or unmute yourself. Um, thanks for joining. I love your energy and you, you like everything you say was amazing. In fact, you reminded me a lot of my best friend and you're, she was like a younger version of you. She's like a, a CEO of like a small beauty company, but like super successful and like just well-spoken. So it's great to have you here. <laughs> like, I'm just gonna keep you in my pocket for <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, my question for is, as I look at your LinkedIn, I see that you have been like a director position um, for, for quite a while and now that you're a GM. Um, I'm part of the professional development committee as well with like Justin um, and Question that we ask, we often talk about how having a leader, like an Asian leader in a leadership position really inspires people. So my question is, um, being a director um, for so many years, like have you seen 
there's a commonality of all these like younger Asian um, professionals that are lacking a certain degree to start their game and to be a leader. And as well, like, were you able to kind of mentor them and leverage them? And like, what were you able to do to kind of help foster this community? It's, I, it, um, it's interesting. So Justin mentioned earlier on this call that the two founders of Wattpad are Asian men, which makes Wattpad, I think, a very unique place. So they both immigrated from Hong Kong to Canada in their, in their teens. And 50% of Wattpad's leadership team, executive team, is uh, people of color. Uh, 48% are women. And so we happen to work in a company, like I can't stress enough that it's like, it's not on you individually or you know us as Asians. It's like the system has to be in place for this to succeed. And so Wattpad is a place that truly is built on diversity. We, we have a very global 80 million user base. And so um, diversity is kind of a fundamental part of who we are. And I, I have no idea if I would have made it to where I am at another company, but this feels pretty special. Right. And in terms of the things that, so the system has to be there. I think that's first and foremost. And I, I now would not work for another company if I saw that there wasn't diversity across the ranks. If I, if I, and, and, or if there wasn't that I was not tasked with making that kind of a change. And so the systemic piece has to be there. And then I would say that like, when I think about um, the, the folks at the company, even whom, whom I mentor, who I try to build up, I think it's actually this, a lot of similar problems that I see throughout. So there aren't any specific patterns that I can think of that are specific to the Asians in my company versus the, the white people versus the, it's oftentimes like people kind of with the same, same insecure, whatever it takes, the same lack of sponsorship, mentorship. And it is, it is therefore like not specific, I don't think to Asians, but I do think that there's that system piece that applies broadly that is probably the most critical. And then the other thing I'll say is like in my own career path, um, I've sort of made it apparent, I think mostly every step along the way of where my end goal is. So I would, I told Alan when I joined, I actually told, I was in a marketing position, growth, head of growth. And I said, I wanna seat at the leadership table. There isn't one right now, but I know that's where I'm trying to go soon. So when that opportunity comes, I want it. And so making that ambition kind of clear in which direction helped, I think, the company think about where to put me as they saw my own skills and expertise. See, we're at time, so. We should ask Sundar for a seat. Of yeah, leadership. that was my next uh, Ask it without trying to be too glib. I do, I love that advice. Just if you don't ask, you can't even have the possibility of getting it unless you're extremely lucky. So yeah. uh, that's great advice. And um, maybe Heather, you can ask the last question before we wrap up, because I think it's a great one. To end yes. Hi, Jenny. Thank you so much again for coming. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing your candid career reflections. Um, just one question to wrap it up today. If you could give three pieces of advice to your 22 year old self, what would they be? Very specific age. Not yeah, I wonder why. 22, specifically. Uh, 20 uh, definitely like a, like a time of your life kind of situation. So the first is, is enjoy in that um, your career will go in whatever direction it's going to go. You are all at Google, right? You are all like what are literally one of the top companies in the world. So you already have this wonderful name on your resume. You can check that box off. So like give yourself a little bit of space and time to enjoy what it is that you're doing, work and personal life. 
because your career, you'll figure it out. And when you see your friends like skyrocketing in their career or whatever it is, like, don't let that be the thing that drives you. You got to figure it out yourself. And sometimes that just takes time and figuring out what you enjoy. So that's, that's first. Uh, the second is something that's been very important to me is figuring out what my authentic voice is. So how do I show up at work? What are my insecurities that are driving my decisions? And then therefore, how do I start to work on it? What is it that I need to learn about other people that helps me be able to speak my mind? So I've learned a lot about like, there's different personality types at work. And just because that guy's super aggressive when he talks isn't actually a reflection of whatever, right? I would never be that aggressive at work. And, but I can't put my lens on him. That's just how he is. And understanding that was very valuable for me to know, oh, I can just show up as how I am. And that's not my garbage to deal with. And so that's been a journey of that authenticity and that um, self-reflection that's been really valuable. And the last would be, how do you get to that authentic self? And what does it look like? Because when you can be that authentic self, you can have fun at what you're doing and have confidence in your work. That takes self-reflection. And there's like, you know, personality tests you can take. There's coaches you can take. There's like, just get a group of people together and your friends and talk to them about work, about hard topics, about where you felt the most insecure and where you struggled and how they would deal with it. And what are you good at? And so self-reflection is not only by yourself, it's with other people. And so create that mode for you, an opportunity to have those conversations. Um, those would be my, my top three. Amazing. I, I don't know about you guys, but I am super excited and inspired <laughs> by this talk. Does anybody want you need to uh, write a book or record an audio book and uh, commit to buying that up front? Yes. I'll put it on Wattpad. I'll put it on Wattpad. Yeah, Wattpad. There you go. Publish your story. Um, cool. So let's wrap it up. Thanks so much, Jeannie. Um, again, this was amazing. Uh, thank you for the time. Thanks for the inspiration. Thank you for the uh, candor. And I think, you know, on behalf of not just AGN, but all Asians around the world who are looking, I'm, I'm being 100% honest here, who are looking for leaders to look up to. Um, thank you for being there as um, somebody that we can look to uh, because we really um, kind of believe the, uh, the saying that if you can't see it, you can't be it. And you've really helped to pave a way for many of us. So thank you so much. It's very kind. Thank you guys. And thank you for your questions, Justin. And thank you everyone for spending the, the past hour with me. I had fun too. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you, everyone. Bye. 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 Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Asian Tech Leaders. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your family and friends, leave me a review on iTunes, or drop me a note on our website, asiantechleaders.com. I really appreciate having each of you as a listener and sharing your valuable time with me. Be well. Stay healthy and follow your heart. See you soon.